0: You're listening to The Three of Witches, a podcast where we explore themes around the lived experiences of witches and pagans. I'm Rosemary, and I'm Fern, and today we're talking with uh, a special guest and one of my close friends, Aliena Shepard, also known as the Farm Witch. Um. Eliana, if you would like to introduce yourself.
1: Hi, that's me. Um, So I am the farm witch, and I am, I suppose, a public figure on the interwebs. Um, I talk about farming, about witchcraft, and all of the crossover in between. And
0: uh, I like doing that a lot. Yeah, you're pretty good at it. You're better (laughs) than I would be. Um just before we get any further in the episode, I would like to say a disclaimer that this is our first interview, and I think everybody here is nervous and does not know what they're doing. So. Oh, I never know what I'm
2: doing. I just pretend I am, and it works usually. Well, hopefully it works for this, yeah. too. Um, we also had- we'll
1: make it work.
2: Yeah, we also had a technical difficulty where the equipment we spent a lot of money on just decided it wasn't going to work today. So, well, it, it, it has worked in the past and it's just something just, about our setup of online just didn't. Not didn't today.
1: Work. Yeah. So. Well, it's probably my fault. I, I do have bad tech energy so I can, I can fix hurt and injured animals, but technology around me just, it's a no go zone.
0: Yeah, so I guess we can we can blame Allie. Yeah, it's not our fault.
1: Oh,
2: absolutely.
1: <laughs> for sure. It'll work next time.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. it definitely will, too, because it worked <laughs> so many other times. <laughs> yeah, it's just this time I decided to be a bitch, but yeah, it's me. Sorry. <laughs> not a very good techno witch. Um. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, well, why don't we start with, you know, talking a little bit about your journey with paganism and, and witchcraft and where that all kind of started for you.
1: Yeah. So, um I think it's always been around in in ways that I recognized and didn't recognize. Um the first thing I usually point to is that one of my favorite books when I was a second grader to check out from the library was the Wiccan Spellbook. So, strong <laughs> clue there.
2: Oh my um, god, so that's even more of a clue than any of us. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty clear indicator. Um uh my mom used to have to take me out to the store. Cause I would say, mom, I need red candles and green candles and yellow candles and like all these things. And, you know, do we have, um, Rosemary in the kitchen and I was doing cell work in the backyard. And, um, I- I'm sure through her eyes, it looked like, Oh, you know, the child who's making potions in the backyard, but it was very much the child making potions in the backyard. <laughs> uh, I found, um, a journal entry or, or something that I'd written in school recently that said something to the effect of what do you want to be when you grow up? Like what are your hopes and dreams or whatever? And I wrote that I wanted to be able to heal people with my hands and talk to animals and like, check, that's kind of my career now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you have, I love that. You have a pretty good track record with that. I'd say.
1: It's true. Yeah. And that's kind of always been my gateway into anything
0: spiritual, pagan, witchcraft, whatever you want to
1: call it. Those are all terms that I use. Um, I had paranormal things that happened around me, especially when I was a teenager. And then there were certain points that I kind of turned that off thinking like, oh, I'm being silly or I made this up or you know, I mean, I, I led my friends in a Salon ritual down by the pond at my boarding school and then later still was like, oh, was just silly kid stuff. Um, it was not. But I, I, I went a different direction. And um, so animals have called, always kind of been my segue into the magical realm, spiritual realm all of those things after high school, I took a different path that wasn't. I mean, I think we're always on our spiritual journey. It doesn't have to look like you know, crystals around you or or working with tarot cards or anything. I think anything that involves your own personal spirit or growth or connections is your spiritual journey. But it was not what might externally look like spiritual. Um, I got involved in the horse industry and was a horse trainer, and that's actually how I know Rosemary. That's how we knew each other first, and then we also had this connection for paganism and everything. So very, very cool connections. And at, while working as a horse trainer, I saw a practitioner who did equine acupressure, and it seemed to be more effective than the chiropractic work that I've seen. And I do tend to be very, you know, science-minded, and I'm like, well, I, I'm seeing the results in these horses that I'm working with, and there is no placebo effect in a horse they're going to move better or they're not um
0: th-
1: that said i think the placebo effect i i could do a whole nother talk on why the placebo effect is incredibly powerful and valid and awesome but i saw horses that were moving better i saw horses that were less anxious i saw horses that you know were were just feeling better and i thought well that's cool and so if you're not familiar Equine acupressure, it's like acupuncture. You're working with energy and meridians, but instead of needles, you're using pressure from your hands. So it's kind of in the realm of energy work, body work, massage. And I really approached it from the physical benefits. The performance I saw in the client's horses and my own horse improved. So I was on board. I got certified, and the person that I worked with was into all kinds of different natural healing things. And so that was kind of my door. And I got really interested in herbal remedies. It's where I learned about dowsing, about pendulum, which has always been a huge part of my practice. And that was, that was the door. And then, and then subsequently I started looking into polytheism, into paganism, into spell work, which really were all things I did as a child anyway but came back to it more formally and and more committed
0: yeah yeah i'm, I'm remembering because um, i'm pretty sure you were the one who showed me pendulum pendulums and oh I-, I do remember teaching you that yeah
1: i remember being very scared that you were going to be like, this
2: witch is crazy. Yeah, I remember <laughs> how
0: many times you were like, I promise I'm not doing this. Like, this, this is not me. And we were standing – because we were asking my horse questions. So we were just standing in front of Gino. I don't rem- uh, remember what we were asking. But just standing in front of Gino, I don't even know what we were using as a pendulum.
1: Probably my necklace.
0: And asking him questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I,
1: used, I just used a necklace for a long time. Um, it was not any sort of formal crystal pendulum. Um, you can use almost anything for dowsing. Oh, sh- real quick, if people are not familiar with dowsing, it's, it's using different things like, like a pendulum, like a necklace to get a read on energies and you can get positive, negative, yes, no. So it's a divination method that you can use to get yes, no answers. And um, you may have heard that in the context of water dousing, like rods that lead to, wa- lead to water. It's very cool. If you haven't looked into it, you're welcome. You know what you're doing on Google this weekend. Enjoy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we were we were asking Gino questions or, or tapping into his field. And I was like, oh my goodness, she's going to think
0: I'm absolutely bonkers. Yeah, because I think, because um, I would have been 2014, or like maybe 2015, and then 2015, the summer, was when I started to actually get into paganism. And I think around that time was also when you were, at least from my point of view, getting more into it and being a bit more public about it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think at that point, I was very on board with energy work and sort of re-exploring my pagan side. Um, That was around the time that I stumbled upon Epona. So if you've been listening since the beginning of this podcast, like you should have been, Um, that is a goddess that Rosemary and I have in common that we've worked with, which makes sense because we had our horses together, we rode together. Um, Rosemary was actually my student and then my employee and now my very, very good friend. And so, yeah, it was, it was really neat having her there despite our age difference, which is not insignificant, um, that we were sort of at this very similar point in both our kind of horse careers and our spiritual paths and that those really intertwined for both of us. And even since then, we, I mean, we'll send each other, oh my gosh, I just discovered this, oh my gosh, I discovered that about um, practices and deities that we have in common or different things. And yeah, absolutely. So that's completely accurate that that was around the time that I was sort of openly exploring that also.
0: Yeah. And speaking about, you know, deities and stuff, I don't know if I, if you would like a moment to talk about the deities you currently work sure, with. Sure,
1: because I work with weird ones.
0: Yeah. Well, and I was talking to Fern yesterday about uh, the kind of realm you work with and that you work with Irish, but also I said Slavic and then I was like, wait, is it actually Slavic? Is that the
2: right term? I don't think it's the right term. And the only other one I knew was Baltic. And I was like, it's that. not Baltic.
1: All right. Why don't I tell you then? <laughs> Yeah, so my my spiritual practice very much aligns with my heritage and ancestry genealogy is always something that I've been very interested in. And so I don't think it's any accident that so many pieces of that really fit for me, but it's been a journey of discovery. And I don't know if you have any listeners who are Hungarian or have researched anything about Hungarian native faith, but it is a journey on investigation. You have to be a detective and it's obnoxious. Um, So my background is um, Scottish and English on one side and the other side is Austrian, Hungarian and Slavic. And yeah, so to your point, Hungary is not a Slavic culture or nation, but there is a lot of crossover and the specific region where my family came from is sort of a a mix of Hungarian and Slavic traditions. I see that in the embroidery, I see that in the traditions, I see that in the language some. So for me personally, there's a lot of pieces, and I do feel like in a lot of ways I'm reconstructionist because I think a lot of us are, um, and I don't use that term formally. I mean that I do my own reconstruction work as best I understand probably should find a new word for that, because that's a whole segment of paganism anyway, but...
0: <laughs> right. Well, and it's probably uh, harder for, I mean, Slavic, not Slavic stuff, because there's kind of similar to Irish, but worse than Irish, in that there's not a whole lot of written record, and there's a lot of digging. Well, probably Irish and Norse, roughly,
2: are kind of similar in how much information they have. Um, Maybe similar, but I think there might actually be more writing. I, hmm.
1: I think that those traditions tend to be more generally popular. So I think what you're fighting is not necessarily a lack of information, but weeding through all of the misinformation at the get go and then coming to things that are accurate or actually come from that region or, you know, whatever's kind of beyond that public knowledge that may or may not even be from that path.
2: Right, and the, yeah, there is a popularity with Irish, Celtic, Gaelic, um, and and Norse as well. Um, one has, a, well, both have a bit of white nationalism oh, you have to yeah. weed through. Oh
1: yeah, you think the Slavic tradition did it? <laughs> Where do you think the swastika comes from? Every time I find a new symbol, or something cool and I get excited about it, I always have to go into Google and like check it out. I'm like, darn it, again, another symbol I can't publicly wear. Cool, 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 thanks. Thanks, white nationalists.
2: I mean, that's basically how a lot of the Norris is as well is I've watched so many videos that are just like Nazi dog whistles. Um, <laughs> and it's like and so much stuff. They're
0: hour long videos. Yeah. Yeah, there have been – speaking of, you know, us you, uh, sending each other back and forth stuff, there have been several times you send me something that you're excited about that you just found out about <laughs> Slavic stuff. And then sometimes it's like an hour later that I get another text that's like, God damn it, the fucking white <laughs> nationalists.
1: So accurate. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And there's a good chance this could get edited out. But um, – a lot of what Hitler was studying was um, Slavic native faith, <laughs> uh, so that's that's such a direct direct link there, um, which is obnoxious
2: <laughs> and really, yeah, it's just like it Why? Well, it was incredibly intentional. Because I mean, yeah, if you are trying to incite nationalism, nationalism and, yeah. and a sense of yeah ownership over culture and a loss of culture you're going to pick sure. a dead culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: But yeah, so a lot of a lot of Slavic borrowing things, but but really Hungarian tradition. And I've seen arguments and don't come at me if I'm wrong, this is just kind of my general understanding that um in terms of of look through the European lens of native faiths that were eradicated by Christianity there is, like, nothing left of Hungarian tradition before that in terms of names and beliefs. Now, there's so much that has been preserved through folk traditions, through um, the church tradition. you know. I mean, I think if anyone's studied any of this, you you can kind of understand how certain holidays and traditions were Christianized. But there's just, there's so little that can be found that is, you know, what was going on before. And so I, that's why to me, I, I say, you know, discovery and reconstruction, because I'm learning about the symbols and embroidery and what they mean and making my own, you know, understanding of what belief systems were and different traditions. And so many of those things kind of fit with what I do naturally. But it's it's a weird it's a weird little world. There's no, you know, teacher I can go to other than my own inner compass and ancestors and um which I don't hear clearly. That'd be so nice if I was just a very clear audience person. It's just like, Oh, cool. Thanks. Thanks, Grandma, you
0: know. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the tech issue that gets in the way of the ancestors as Absolutely. well. The connection
2: just isn't. Well, yeah, that, maybe this whole thing that there's just like something that's not right. And that's why the tech is. Like, yeah, you I'm work. not saying you're mentally ill. <laughs> oh, If I just adjust the tinfoil hat, I'll get a better. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So just, <laughs> yeah, just like there's too many waves or something. Yeah. And that's why tech doesn't work either.
1: That or the ADHD. I mean, you know, there's always so many waves.
0: That might be it. That might be it. Hey, did you want to talk about any of the deities you specifically work with? Or um, oh, yeah. I know we mentioned Epona earlier. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. absolutely. Just um, So the one name that we sort of have in Hungarian tradition, which fits for me, and I i mean, I would consider myself, um, you know, a follower or, you know, whatever, is, um, okay, I'm going to practice my Hungarian here. I'm learning Hungarian. It's tricky. I wrote this down. So it's like, I, I'm doing my best. Um, Boldo Gastonia. So that translates to happy lady, and that is what they now call the Virgin Mary, but was the previous mother figure. And um she's very similar to Mokosh in the Slavic tradition, which is a, a an earth based water mother in um there's different variants of Mokosh, whether you're looking at Russia, Ukraine, Belarus kind of in that region, but it, it roughly translates to moist mother or wet mother. And so there's a real celebration of fertility of the earth, of fertility of humans. Um, and as a farm witch, that, that translates very well for me for, you know for gardening, for you know the vitality of the animals that I keep. Um, I'm also a Cancer son, so I'm just very a maternal person. I'm a very water sign. So uh, that really fits for me. Um, And then just any variants of deer goddesses, deer mothers, there's several and several paths. In all of my ancestral paths, there's some variant of a deer mother. Um, Too many to name, but, but for me, they, they're they all very similar and they come from similar things that we see in nature. So that kind of energy fits. And then I've always been a Persephone girl. I'm a seasonal person that just, it makes so much sense to me. I mean, my whole wardrobe, my whole energy, my whole outlook changes from the seasons. Um, so that story fits very closely for me as well.
2: I have to ask, sure. so Persephone is pretty far from, um, you know, the Hungarian <laughs> roots that we're talking about, so was, did you start working with her first, or, like, how how did we, you know, come up with that, like, combination that we're working with?
1: Sure, Persephone uh, was on my radar when I did my sixth grade project on Greek history, and I studied death in the underworld, and I think so many people see that story and that archetype and, like, are very drawn to it for a number of reasons. So that was me, for sure. I mean, I brought in pomegranates as my visual aid and taught people how to, like, eat pomegranates and the whole thing. So, yeah, I would say in a lot of ways she was kind of my first deity that, that was on my radar, that drew me in. Um, and the other thing is that Hungarians were nomadic for a very long time. Um, They originated kind of near Siberia um, and were very nomadic until, oh gosh, I hope I get this right. I want to say around 800 BCE-ish. So there is a lot of um, Turkish influence. There is a lot of... influence that we see in their traditions like Zoroastrianism comes through there's a lot of Greek influence from um, kind of Mediterranean and Balkan areas there's a lot of Baltic influence there's a lot of Slavic influence it's the people that really through time were kind of picking up things around them so yes on the one hand Persephone does seem to be the outlier although I think a lot of what is described in the small pieces that we still have of Hungarian native faith, is kind of the seasons and the realms of the world. And to me, that just really does fit with, with the idea of Persephone, if you kind of scale back and look. But there, I mean, there's there's pomegranates that feature heavily in Hungarian stories, even though pomegranates don't grow in Hungary. And that's the Turkish influence, even the tulips. So tulips are one of the most important symbols. They're fertility symbols. They're goddess symbols. There's all kinds. I mean, that's a whole rabbit hole. And Rosemary knows I've sent countless articles of every little nugget I've found. But the importance of the tulips also comes from Turkey and from the Middle East. And so there's, there's just such an interesting influence of everyone around them. And I almost feel like from what I've seen and believe myself, it's a very simplistic belief system and worldview. And I think that that comes from being influenced by so many different things. And I feel like that's for me in my journey as well. I mean, I was was raised Unitarian Universalist, so everything was on the table for me as an option. That's how it was presented. And I kind of have this not all-encompassing, but sort of like a simple view of what's the most important from so many different paths, and then the specifics that fit for me.
2: We have talked about the deities you follow and kind of how you got here, and now I'm wondering kind of what your practice looks like. So how do you practice? Like what on daily, weekly? Like what what are the things that you might do um, for those deities or – in honor of ancestors, um, whatever your practice does.
1: It's so variable for me. I go through different phases where I feel like I'm doing intention work or devotionals regularly, and those will look different too. And then I really personally prioritize my current physical realm and my mental health and um I'm a teacher. I teach elementary school, so this year and last year have been very difficult. So my practice has looked very different, and sometimes it's uh, you know, psyching myself up with some good songs for the day to go do my job so that I can teach the children and get a paycheck so I can feed myself after school. so it's it's very practical, it's very fluid. There are times that I can get really intense if there's a certain full moon that I'm really drawn to for what it represents or just that moment in my life, or I've got the extra energy. Um, I am sometimes a very lazy, tired witch. (laughs) And I, I think that it, it really is about intentions. And I think there are so many people that get stuck on what they should do, what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, I, I am my house is dirty and cluttered, and that's the first thing that goes out the window when I've got too much on my plate. And so I know I personally struggled in a lot of my research and seeing like, oh, you know, you have to have a dedicated altar space and you have to clean your house before you do a ritual. And I'm like, I'm, I, I, it's not happening. Like, sometimes my house is clean, but I either have the energy to start cleaning or to do a ritual, not both you know, there's only so many spoons in one day. So, um, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just go outside. I do spend a lot of time outside. I I run a barn and a garden and, um, I like the outdoors and, um, you know, I, I talk to trees a lot and that's something I've always kind of done intuitively. And I have found out is a super thing among grandmothers in Slavic tradition and in Hungary of it's whispering to trees. So I will, Put my hands on a tree and speak my intentions um, and say it a few times and visualize it and believe it and then remind myself of that. Or even like for this right now, I wrote down a small intention on the top of my paper of what I wanted to get out of this podcast. It can be very simple. I stir intentions into my drinks that I make every morning and then think about those words or those concepts while I drink it. So it's It's really kind of in the moment. I do a lot of research on my ancestry, both in my own family tree and in traditions. If you've been listening, you can tell that that's important to me. And to me, that's ancestor worship of of figuring out who they were, what their names were, my best guess of where they lived, what they would have eaten. I'm learning Hungarian cooking. I On the Scottish side, I got really into perfecting my Scottish porridge, and I got a spurtle, which is the traditional tool you use for making porridge. And there's all kinds of—it's a magic wand that you use to stir food with. For the record, very effective. It's an excellent kitchen tool, both practically and magically. But but little things like that. And I you know I go to Scottish events and festivals, and I make sure that I always have paprika from Hungary in my kitchen so it's it's really hard to say what does my practice look like because it's everything I do it's not something that's separate from my everyday life because I one don't have the room to kind of add that in separately and it to me it just feels lived it's not like oh you know I show up for worship one day a week and then the rest of the week I go home and I act like a total butthole and has nothing to do with that I try to kind of integrate it in what I do understanding too that I live a human experience and I don't live in a you know little remote village that has been romanticized where we can all work together and I can go frolic all the time and you know hang out and spend hours under the moon doing things because I got to make dinner and I want to do things with my life, which to me is also like joy and rest, our ancestor worship, because how many of our ancestors, particularly, I would say women, some folks didn't get to rest. And I, every time I press start on my dishwasher, well, not every time, but sometimes when I start press start on my dishwasher, I think about the grandmothers in my line who, you know, if they can be seeing what I'm doing right now are probably getting a kick out of that.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: Like how cool instead of spending hours doing all these. And I do, I, I sometimes hand wash my linens and hang them to dry. And sometimes that's just to to learn those trades and those practices because they're special and they're important and um, it's good to know, but like, yeah, throw a frozen pizza in the oven walk away and come back when the timer goes off and I think how cool I am celebrating my joy and my rest that so many ancestors did not have
0: and that definitely would have been magic probably to those
2: oh my god yeah like three generations back show them a dishwasher oh my gosh a a stand mixer too like oh my god you don't have to I need a stand mixer I want one I mean On so many levels. Like, I love – when I'm stressed, I bake. Um, So – When I'm stressed, rosemary bakes and I eat it. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) It's great. Uh, Uh, But for me, like, for a long time, I was like, oh, you know, I'm, like, putting the intention in as I'm doing all of this. And then I was like, I'm also putting a lot of stress into this. (laughs) Now I want a stand mixer. Yeah, so the stand mixer can can Yeah, yeah. It'll just have, you know, electric energy or something. And then I can just be like, sage – for good feels or something. <laughs> I think that's magic. Mm-hmm.
1: I think electric is fire energy. Yeah.
2: That's
1: fair. Speaking of stand mixers, I also I got a uh, Hungarian flower decals to go on my stand mixer so that I am reminded of my ancestors when I do use it.
0: Perfect. Looking for ancestor worship in uh, everywhere you can put it, even if it doesn't need to be a separate part of your life.
2: Absolutely. Also, like. One thing I think that so many people are like the altars and the offerings—it's so much at this point. I'm like, you get water; that is your offering. It'll evaporate. It won't mold. <laughs> you get water.
0: Water is important. I mean, yeah, talking talking about offerings—the hardest thing for me is finding things I can put out that I am not going to be worried about cats getting into. Yes. Like, I would I would like to put out more interesting offerings, but I have cats, and I don't. I don't want to go to the vet and be like, yeah, my cat ate my chocolate or whatever that I left out for the Morgan. I don't (laughs) think the Morgan is a chocolate girl, but
2: (laughs) the cats got to it before the ghosts. Or knock over the candle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so yeah, we've talked now a little bit about what your practice looks like and what it is. Um, I wanted to, you know, talk about how that how open you are with your practice, as we mentioned at the beginning of the the podcast, you're a bit of a public-facing person. So, and as we've talked about in other episodes of the podcast, being a public pagan is uh, an interesting thing to deal with. Um, so, how do how do you manage that, and what are the thoughts that go into that for you?
1: There's two aspects of my personality that are strong factors there. One is that I'm a teacher. That is, I, I'm a school teacher now, but I've always been some sort of an instructor or teacher. And the other thing is that I can be real anxious. Um, so, I, my angst and and you know need to be different or to separate myself is not necessarily to be seen as an individual, but to represent those who can't be seen. And I think that I do that in a lot of aspects of my life, and this is one of them that. I'm, I am in a world that is pretty comfortable and pretty easy for me to be open. I use the words pagan and witch openly uh, with my first and last name in my face on social media. I don't hide that. I, I talk about it to an extent some at work, and I'm sure we'll get into that in a moment. But I, I do it because there are others who can't. And if I can start that and be a part of that and normalize, or if I can be the first person that, you know, somebody's like, wait, you're a real witch. What what does that mean? And I can educate them a little bit and kind of give them, here's an idea of like what, what a pagan or a witch or a magical, whatever, there's so many titles, what they are and kind of talk about what that looks like, then that sort of plants that seed that then later if someone else comes to them, they have a rough idea of what's going on. And maybe they understand that it is very individual and it's not necessarily evil or whatever you preconce- preconceived notions they have. Um, so I a lot of what I do is just in the spirit of education. I am an educator at heart. And how do I do it? I, um, I, I haven't right now, I, I paused on this just for my own well being this year. But I was teaching a course online about spirituality, about astrology, about witchcraft. And a lot of what I do on my social media, too, is just kind of little nuggets about spiritual life, about astrology, about health, about menstrual cycles, about all kinds of things that like people don't talk about. And I think are important too. they should be a part of the conversation.
2: It's really nice to see some of the stuff where I'm like, wow, that's weird. I've never talked about it that much. But one of your first posts about like menstrual cycles, I originally wasn't like upset. I was just like, wow, it's so nice to have a regular menstrual cycle. And I was like, well, I guess that's the point of this is the conversation that comes out of it. So Absolutely. Yeah.
1: One, one of the many hats that I wear is I do teach health class too. I, and I took a whole course on period coaching and I, I don't know. I've just, I've always been drawn to the things that have meaning and, and to shedding light to the things that we don't talk about. Cause one, they're the most interesting. And two, there, there's really no reason for the things that we consider to be impolite to not be discussed. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of power and political reasons why <laughs> why they have been not public conversations but I don't know it's just I, I'm the kind of person that just wants to rip the curtain back and just say hey let's talk about it that said that's hard for me to do about like you know my own feelings sometimes when I need to but but generally if I can do it as a champion for others sign me up I'm ready
2: I have to ask. So you said you're an elementary school teacher and you are very open about these like really big um, spiritual topics. Some things you talk about have a lot to do with science. Like were there any hesitations to initially be so open? Um, And you mentioned you talk about it with at work. Do you mean like students, coworkers, parents of these students? Like where does that come up?
1: It's definitely been a journey. I So the school where I am, I've been here for eight years now. I just finished my eighth school year. And what that looked like in year one is very different than this year. I had sort of discussed, I'd, I'd been open on my social media and I had been, had that open to coworkers. There's a few parents, That I let hang around on my pages, (laughs) not all of them. Mostly just for you know, for boundaries. Not not because I'm trying to hide anything, but just there are boundaries that are important. But I was invited to speak by another teacher about witchcraft to a class of children. They were studying world religions, and one of, I guess it was a, a pair of students. They were studying Wicca, and. The teacher and I had had some conversations about my spirituality and they, you know, see all my stuff on social media and said, would you be interested? I don't even know if Wicca is the right term for you, but could you talk to the class and kind of give your perspective? Because they'd invited some people from other faiths to come speak. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, I was like, oh, what does this mean for me in my career? Like, oh, you know, what's what's the takeaway going to be here? Is this going to come back? Is are are people, are parents going to hear about this and feel weird about it? I, you know, I didn't know. I'm I'm at a private school, so I think that's also relevant to conversation. I'm not at a public school. I am at a private school, and we tend to be very open-minded, liberal-leaning community. But, you know, you never know how people are going to take it. So I just kind of went in and and talked to them about how, explain what Wicca is. And I think that y'all kind of talked about that some of your podcasts. If people are not familiar, go do your research. But I am not Wiccan.
0: I don't think any of us here are Wiccan. No, I started, quote unquote, eclectic Wiccan. And then it is a common jumping off point.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think, well, and as I said, the Wiccan spell bug, that was the thing I saw, the thing, you know.
2: Right, right. And I, sorry not to just interrupt what you were saying, but I also think one of the reasons why Wicca was like one of the first things that I stuck with like as a label was I remember I had this high school teacher who was just, just a little bit extra hippie. um, And she and I, like, it was kind of weird, like if we... If I was older, we would have been friends. So it was like one of those dynamics with a teacher. And someone, I remember at some point in high school, someone was like, I heard she's Wiccan. And it just like stuck in my head and I never looked it up for like, for a couple of years. And then when I was coming back around and like learning like, what is actually a witch? I was like, well, I guess I know one. And so it would like made me comfortable with the title, so. Which -hmm. means that you can maybe, maybe you're starting that role with some of your students before they even realize it.
1: I hope so. I mean, that's kind of the point, but I gave them a little history on what Wicca is and what Wicca is not, and kind of how that fits into the context of lots of things. Choosing my words carefully here, but uh, yeah, I, I am not Wiccan. Again, just disclaimer. Um, and I just kind of talked to them about nature-based spirituality. That was the term that I offered them. I explained that I was pagan and that for some people – means multiple gods or goddesses and for some people that means a god like thing that is nature based it doesn't necessarily mean you know polytheism but it can be and talk to them about why so many of our ancestors have this natural spiritual agricultural based traditions whether that was following you know, a single God or not, or, you know, whatever religious past they were on, that that's kind of common among humans. So it makes sense if you're relying on all of these elements for survival, that people would interact with them in a very spiritual way. And so I think that kind of helped them be like, oh, yeah, true. And, and uh, we talked about the solstices. And if you don't have electricity, yeah, the days that are really short are going to be very different for your life than the days that are very long and how that, that, that was a very common thing. And, and I just answered their questions. And that's, I think for anyone who's trying to have conversations, particularly with, with children about hard topics, my advice is answer the questions that they ask. You know, you can give some broad generalizations and then answer their questions. And they had, they were like, wait, do you do real spells? And so I explained to them, yes, but it's not what you have seen
2: on TV, you know that's like the first question that we get asked by many adults. Also, yeah. so, but usually it's a bit more snide. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh you're a real
0: witch. Do you think you're doing? Do you think you're like Harry Potter? It's like, no, I don't.
2: I think I think I got the, the more of. Sorry to interrupt, but I got more of the like awe invoking. Like, oh my gosh, you do real spells, and I think you got more of the sassy ones. Yeah, right no, there.
0: I I've. I've gotten the like oh so you think you're you're like Harry Potter and you're doing spells you silly little you silly little girl who doesn't know reality and it's like okay fuck off man.
1: <laughs> I got a little bit of the sass too but the you know just the dynamics of the fact that it was me an adult and they were sixth graders a little different but but yeah it was the same you know some of them were kind of laughing like oh you do real things some of them were like what and so I just explained to them you know kind of the, the idea behind intention setting and that I said, it's, it's can be very complex and you can get into all kinds of different energies of herbs and events and, you know, whatever colors stones. but I said, it's, it's not any different than an athlete who has a ritual before a game and they've had success with that before. And so they stick with it and that does help them get into the mentality to achieve success. If they have a lucky penny that they put in the pocket, is the penny doing the work? No, never. You still have to take the test and do well. But does it have extra influence? Maybe. Does it help you feel like it does? Absolutely. Do you still blow out birthday candles? Do you still, you know, make a wish when you blow on a dandelion? So I kind of gave them examples of things that they can relate to that are real magic that everyone does. And I, kind of give you know a little taste of how that could be bigger than that but i said it's it's really about you know belief and understanding the things that you're working with understanding the trees that are around you understanding how certain herbs affect you so i make a lot of tea you know different things it's a lot of learning and believing and and hoping and waiting <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i always love thinking about all those little examples of everyday magic or folk magic that people don't consider to mm-hmm. be folk magic because – or to be magic at all, they just – I'm just blowing out my candles. What do you mean this is magic or – yeah. And that is a good way to explain it to people who have that first reaction of like, yeah, what do you mean you do, you do
2: magic? Because then it's like, you do too. It's just different. Yeah. No, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, you just also have to walk the line because sometimes I go too far and I'm like, well, you go to church? <laughs> <laughs> Do you pray to a god? Yeah.
0: There's more similarities here than you want to admit.
2: Yeah, and then they get mad. So
0: <laughs> That's the difference between us handling adults and then you talking to kids.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, and when we're doing a comparative religion project, comparing the religions was appropriate. Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh... Yeah. Like, uh, I, I haven't formally taught anything, but I did teach. Growing up, I taught kids martial arts and I also volunteered at a zoo. So I got some really wild questions. So uh, you got used to just out of. Oh, yeah. It was like, what are the polar bears doing? And I had to be like making more.
1: (laughs) That's a big part of my job in in teaching farm studies and health is.
2: Yeah, I imagine how we get more of a thing. Both of my degrees are in agricultural animal science. And I originally started my master's studying um, animal reproduction, and I I just remembered every time, like, what? How would I explain this to children? Because that's how I know if I understand something. And I was like, this is a fun one. This <laughs> is a fun one.
1: Oh, I get all kinds of questions. It's usually, I mean, I get questions from the children, but from their parents. So uh, we are in a major metropolitan area, not a lot of folks here know a whole lot about farming. Um, And so I get a lot of what I consider uninformed questions. I don't think they're stupid questions. I think they're uninformed questions. What really gets me though, is when you explain the thing, these are reasonably intelligent human beings. I assume the reaction will be, oh, yeah, I guess that does make sense. I just didn't really think about it. And there are so many times I get adults particularly parents of their own biological children who are confused about aspects after I explain them to them. And that just, I just, I have to work so hard to keep my face from showing what I really feel. And like one of the questions I get all the time is, you know, well, how do the chickens lay an egg without a rooster? Well, we do have roosters, so they are frequently fertilized eggs. But that's, you know, I have to explain that, well, they ovulate regularly, whether it's fertilized or not, and just like humans, but they do it many days in a row. And at that point, you would think someone who had birthed their own child would go, oh, I guess that makes sense. I just didn't think about it. But so many times they just still don't get it. And I'm like, okay, um do we need to have? a reproduction lesson right now I'm willing if you are but I don't know where the lines of appropriate are
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah I don't know how I would keep a straight face for that
1: it's easier with the kids because you just, you
0: just answer their questions
1: and that's kind of what I do when I and I I'm fairly open with my younger students about my spirituality And what I mean by that is that, like, we talk about the equinoxes, and I will read books to them in the garden or at the barn about a solstice or an equinox and different traditions and tie it all back to farming. And now there's all these different paths that celebrate these natural events, and I I, I differentiate between facts and beliefs. And a lot of who I work with is like kindergartners, right? So we're we're indulging beliefs there. And I think that's important, but I am also a science teacher and we also have to talk about facts. So a lot of what I present is, you know, some people believe this, or this is important to some people. And we know that nature does this. We know that the leaves change and that they fall off on most trees. We know it, we can see it, we observe it, we experience it. And lots of different people have different things they believe explain that, or that go with that, or that that means to them. And so we talk about different different paths, and it's always fun. There's this one book series, of course, I don't remember right now, um, that talks about the solstices and the equinoxes, and it just mentions a bunch of different traditions from around the world. And that's so fun, because I'll see students who have different backgrounds they get to see themselves in that story and to relate it and all comes back to what's happening with the seasons, what's happening with nature, what's happening with the plants. And they get to see, yes, here's the scientific thing that's happening. And how fun is it that there's this belief about this one tree that, you know, has represents something. Or we talk about owls. Owls are cool. They eat the rats that are near the barn. And a lot of people believe that when you see an owl, you experience an owl, that that, you know, reminds them of wisdom. And so we kind of, I kind of put these little nuggets there because I think it's, I, I think it's special and important for all people to believe in meaning in things, whether you call it pagan, whether you call it something else, the meaning behind things is really beautiful. And what we see represented in a lot of witchcraft and ritual things of what certain rocks represent or what stones mean or what this herb means is like natural characteristics of that plant or that region where that crystal was mined or that tree represents it because this is what it does. And that's what I try to teach in my online witch world, in my day job teaching about the outdoors is the natural characteristics that our ancestors knew and then assigned value to based on that so if there's a, if there's anything that i'm about it's that it's it's getting people to understand the natural world and and why certain moons represent different things why the berries on that tree are interesting well because they grow late in the season and that's unusual so they represent last chances it's not some made-up thing that somebody just, you know, pulled out of thin air or divined from something. It's it's based on what really happened.
0: I like that. Yeah, that's that's a good way to explain things, and and it's nice to know that there's future generations of not necessarily future generations of witches, but future generations of people who are accustomed to witchcraft and paganism as a normal thing and just another path that people can take. I mean it makes sense to
1: me, but I'm the one <laughs> <Yeah>. saying it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, all of us are gonna be like, Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But I think it's I think it's nice that there is exposure that you and other educators would actually take time to like expose people to say there are many different ways mm-hmm. and beliefs about a variety of things.
0: Well, we also wanted to have just a fun question. Um Initially, we were saying, you know, if, if you have a favorite magic story, but we can open it up to favorite, you know, paranormal or ghost story. Oh, absolutely. That'd be fun. Yeah. Whatever you would like, however you would like to take that. Sure. Um, we'll, we'll give you five seconds to think.
1: Oh <laughs> No, no I, I have it ready. But um, one of the things that I teach is astrology, and it is very near and dear to my heart because it is a system of understanding and language that works for me, kind of whether it's real or not, I find a lot of value in it. And people frequently ask me, how did you learn astrology? And my answer is I learned it from my grandfather, my dead grandfather, which is always, you know, a fun segue into the story of like, what? (laughs) And yeah, astrology was something I was interested in when I was younger. And one of the things that I came back to as an adult and in that process I ended up finding out that my then deceased grandfather was an astrologer. And I did not know that. I didn't know him very well when he was alive. And we we'd met, but I we weren't particularly close. And my dad didn't really know that. And it was a really fun discovery to see his astrology notes and his star charts. And oh, yeah, it was a whole thing. And so that's what I used in my study, I had a very simplistic knowledge of astrology, and I used his notes. And every time I got to something I didn't understand, that's when I would stop and research and, you know, do all kinds of things. And then I'd come back to his notes and keep going through it. And I ended up actually photocopying some of his notes for my astrology students. And using that as part of my curriculum if you want to use fancy words. And I have a picture of us together that I always had right next to my laptop when I was teaching astrology. And he was also the genealogist of the family. So I feel like in a lot of ways he kind of guides me through that as well. Yeah. So it's it's really wild and it's annoying as I said earlier, because I, I don't hear direct messages or statements. From spirits or ancestors, which is uh, frustrating, but I have a knack for finding things and Rosemary knows this. Um, Just research. I can just, whether it's somebody else's family tree or my own internet searches, or I can just kind of intuitively click the right links to end up where I need to be, which is wild. And that feels very assisted to me. And, and finding, I mean, these these notes that I found weren't like on a shelf somewhere. My father was moving and was throwing everything out in the attic that was there at the end because it was, you know, moves are the worst and um, difficult memories and too many, I don't, you know, it was all the stuff he had from his parents after they died. And I was like, stop, I need another day or two. And I was literally in a hot attic going through boxes and boxes of, photos and receipts and all kinds of things and found all of these astrology notes and his astrology book and, and his star charts. He had hand-drawn star charts that were there, which spooky enough I have for all of the deceased relatives in my immediate family, but he did not have any of those in that box for any of the living members, which of course I've done their charts.
0: Didn't he do a chart when you were born for you or?
1: Um, I, <laughs> No, but I have, he had, um, diaries, probably the wrong term, uh, journals that, you know, he, he wrote in most days, he was a Navy guy and did his whole thing. And he, he raised the flag every day. And if there was a reason that he was dedicating his flag, raising that day, he would write it in his notebook. And so he has my birth time and birthplace and everything in there. So I actually ripped that notebook out or that page out from that notebook and I have it, and there's a dispute between my parents about what time I was born, all within the same hour, so it doesn't change my rising sign. It doesn't change my star chart, really. But I was always confused, and I was like, you're both wrong. I am going with the time that Boompa put, because he's the astrologer, and he raised the flag for that, and he wrote it down in the book. Seems valid to me, which is interesting. It's 10.23 a.m., and I frequently see that on the clock." I always feel like around is when I'm really ready to start my day. I mean, I get up early, I do farm stuff, you know, I'm active in the morning. But that time always feels like, I feel like activated at that time. So even more reason that that feels like it fits.
0: Yeah. I, I always love the the connection with your, your grandfather in astrology. It's so it's so funny.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was not like a woo-woo hippie guy either. He was a Navy guy. Yeah. Yeah, he had navy tattoos on his arms and um you know, but I I think there is a real strong connection between the stars and the seas. Yeah. But so I don't think it's too far of a leap and he was also really studying a lot of numerology. That I knew about as as a child. My dad had told me about it in a very dismissive way, just simply cuz he didn't understand at that point, which is fair and valid. But yeah, just just a really interesting discovery really just surprising and fascinating and so valuable to my own journey as well
2: yeah that's really cool like I I feel like I don't know if this is like a common thing and I don't know how old you were when your grandfather passed but I was pretty young when my grandfather who i frequently get compared to past which is really weird because on the surface like there he had a lot of problems and like a lot of issues so that was growing up like all i really knew about him was like you know we weren't really close because of xyz and then like his brother will be like oh you're just like him and i'm like i just met you are you calling me an alcoholic? Words. yeah <laughs> but like the more I know the more I'm like oh no these other things there are a lot of like random similarities um so it sounds sounds like something similar which is really cool I yeah I think there's definitely
1: interests and and gifts that I get that are similar to him
2: that are just kind of neat
1: I don't know and I, I I feel this way whenever I'm studying and I also I was talking earlier about you know, my Scottish ancestry, my Hungarian ancestry, none of that is something I grew up with. That's all things I've learned and discovered and experienced pretty much as an adult. And like the Hungarian and Slavic side, that is all in the last couple of years. I'm third generation American and I didn't know anything about the culture. Didn't know anything about the language, the food, nothing.
2: Well, how did you start like learning about that? So... I'm assuming you knew on some level, roughly, areas where your family was from. But then, like, how did you go further with that?
1: I did. I knew I knew that I was Hungarian and a little Austrian on my mom's side. My mom had mentioned it several times. It was always something I was just kind of resistant to, partially because the family members that I knew of on that side were not people that I uh, was excited about being related to. So there was just a lot of just kind of a block. And even when I started doing ancestor work, I, I would sort of say like, you know, something like, you know, calling in my ancestors, not that side or whatever. And I think that is valuable too, for people who have trauma in their families to understand that, you know, you, you can say no, thank you to certain energetic spirits or, you know, whatever it is, or, or your whole life, what, you know, anything. And I, I don't really know what made me get interested in that side. I don't think there's any kind of big event or I don't know. It just kind of started and then snowballed and then turned into a whole thing. And I, I came to the conclusion that I can be grateful to my direct ancestors that I am, again, not excited about, to put that lightly, for connecting me to that path for connecting me to that culture, for ultimately bringing me life, and that's it. (laughs) And I don't have to gloss over the fact that there's some real awful people that I'm related to, and, you know, I don't have to bring that in. And so I kind of skipped over them, but acknowledged them as the link, and then really dove into the aspects of the culture that were very interesting to me. And then it was like a flood. All these things started popping up for me. And and there's so many small things, sort of like you were saying, compared to your grandfather, that I was like, whoa, that's me, I do that. Weird things that my family doesn't do, people around me don't do, it's not normal in the American culture that I'm a part of, that are like, oh, that's a thing they do in Hungary. Weird, I just instinctively do it that way. Like, so I don't like cold water. I never have, I have Raynaud's so it turns my hands numb anyway, but I don't like cold water. I just, it's even on a hot day, I'll drink it if it's there, but I'm real happy with cool to lukewarm water. And I learned recently that there's this whole superstition in Hungary that cold water will freeze you and and they're like super against cold water and they drink hot tea in the summer which I always do and it's like this it's this whole thing and it's not as subtle that they just oh we just don't put ice in our water it's like no they do not do cold water and i was like same is it like
2: don't eat ice like it's just bad for you because i've heard that before which
1: i think that's more about your teeth uh,
2: oh no i it was um I'm not sure if this is a is a Russian thing specifically or my ex's family in particular, but every time it was like you're eating, do not touch ice, no cold water, you're you're ruining your digestive system. Like you can't do that. It was so weird. There are
1: so many Slavic traditions like that. And some of them are conflicting too. Like there's a whole thing in I think I'm getting this right, in Russia that it is good luck to drink your tea with a spoon still in it. But in Ukraine, if the spoon is still in your tea, that's the reason why you haven't gotten married yet. You have to take your spoon out of your teacup, you know. I've, I've heard that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's several of those that have kind of come over to Hungary as well, just because of proximity. I don't know if there's any particular reason behind the no cold water thing in Hungary. I do know that there's a lot of, some are based in reality, some are myths fertility related superstitions. Part of when Hungarian people were nomadic, I don't remember all the history of it, but there was this really intense incident where they were attacked and like the majority of the women and children were killed. And so as the Hungarian men were marrying, hopefully just marrying consensually, different women from Slavic regions, the emphasis on protecting women and children and fertility defines almost everything in their folk culture, which makes sense. I mean, if you think about how people respond to trauma, ancestral trauma, of of course, I mean, you know, if that's what happened to you, of
0: course it is. So there's
1: everything to do with their, their clothing and certain things that they eat it's all fertility based one representative of you know their fertile grounds now that they have a, an actual place that they live and they're not nomadic but then just literal human anatomy fertility so there's there's and this is true in slavic areas too that a lot of the grandmothers will yell at particularly women who sit on cold surfaces that you can't you can't sit on a cold bench or like a stone wall because you'll freeze your bits and you won't have babies which is like that is not accurate I have to say that as a health educator right now um but there is something to you know promoting circulation for different body systems and function and like yeah if you're sitting on a block of ice every day the circulation in your womb is maybe not going to be as much and it might not work as well. Is it going to prevent you from getting pregnant? No. Are you even trying to get pregnant? Who cares? Like, but, but that's kind of, that really drives a lot of their superstitions. It's a lot around marriage and fertility.
0: which I I find so interesting just because I love um, seeing evidence of ancestral memory and like, intergenerational, um, the way that seems to be passed down is just so interesting to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so much for agreeing to interview with us, even though we had some fun technical difficulties at the beginning.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's standard for me, but, (laughs)
0: um, yeah, maybe we'll have to have you come back to talk about, um, uh, white nationalism in paganism or something
2: oh okay like uh oh yeah we can we can go on that oh um, yeah
0: we can talk on that for a while
2: well yeah because i think i think um out of the three normal hosts of the podcast red would be the lot. she she's well aware of it but it's but not, she's not more as evident in the culture yeah because she she's a uh,
0: hellenic and i mean there's white nationalist bullshit pretty much everywhere, but right. not as significant in Hellenism than it is in Slavic or Irish or Norse or yeah.
2: But absolutely. And it's, it's definitely not in the Sumerian side that I follow because that's a bit that doesn't white people. It, <laughs> you can't be a white nationalist and follow an ancient Semitic culture. Uh, I
0: mean,
2: you can't, do it with actual logic
1: white people are capable of so much bullshit it's astonishing
0: that's true we really are (laughs) especially in the name of hate (laughs) as we have uh discovered we can probably already uh go on for a while for about white nationalism and how it's bullshit but well yeah thank you again for uh you know joining us tonight uh I don't know if you would like to shout out anything, you know, Instagram handle where people can find you.
1: Sure. Well, this was awesome. Um, this is the only podcast that I listen to. I'm not really a podcast person, but I love this one. Uh, as I told Rosemary, I only listened to it because I know you, but I kept listening because I loved it. So it was very, very cool to be able to be on with y'all. And I really appreciate getting to kind of share my little corner of the world. And I am the farm witch on Instagram, on Facebook, um, you know, Venmo, whatever. (laughs) Uh on all the things, I am the farm witch. So if you're looking for me, um or Aliana Shepherd, but no one can spell or pronounce that, that's where I am. If you like cute animals and uh facts about the stars or whatever, that's where I am.
2: All right. Well, thank you again for talking to us and answering our questions. And thank you so much to our listeners. Uh, We are three of witches on Instagram and Twitter. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you in roughly two weeks. Bye.